most people, most leaders, most influencers, those that are highly driven people have their set ways and protocols on how they make decisions. They've mm-hmm. built empires based on that. But if they want to advance far beyond that and they want to change direction and they want to expand in ways they haven't done yet, they have to abandon those old principles and they have to be willing to do a little bit more of the unconventional approach to where else can I tap into maybe unseen potential that I have not been able to access yet for myself and then make decisions from there. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. We're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. Wiley, welcome to the show. How's it going? I'm doing well, brother. How about you? Not too bad. Not too bad. You know, it's fall time in Vegas, so uh, things are starting to cool down a little bit. Weather's getting better. My attitude's getting better because of that. You know what I mean? Because like (laughs) summer months are so terrible here. You know, we, we get like two months of the perfect weather. And then it immediately goes cold. So we're like riding that transition. Well, it feels good outside right now. Yeah, right now it feels great. Yeah. I I love uh, like shorts, long sleeve shirt weather. You know what I mean? Me too. You don't have to commit to one or the other. (laughs) You don't have to go like a full sweatsuit. Right. You're confused when you're in a closet figuring out what am I going to do here? Right. Right. It's like pants, t-shirt, shorts, you know, long sleeve. Well, I'm from Southern California. So I kind of grew up spoiled with that Orange County weather. Orange County. Okay. Yeah. So I grew up spoiled with a... Yeah. Our cold was a, a light hoodie and yeah. board shorts it's with flip flops. 59. It's like, oh no, we, we see a five there. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That's when people like, don't you. go out. It scares people <laughs> in California. I yeah. just met a guy the other day in Sedona where I live and he just moved out there from California and he was yeah. cold and it was 62. <laughs> and we were walking around our dog in, in the mountains and we had t-shirts on and it's like, okay, you'll get acclimated to it. But that, again, hilarious. yeah, we all have our own. Because I I grew up in SoCal as well, but I lived in Lancaster, which is, yeah, I don't know what that is. I do. um, High desert. It's very, it's actually very similar to Vegas. Lancaster is close to what? uh, Angeles Crest? Palmdale. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Angeles Crest. Okay. uh, Highway. You used to ride motorcycles up there. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Right. You know, a little bit north uh, of Santa Clarita where Six Flags is and all that stuff. So yeah, I I grew up in, in Lancaster, Palmdale. So we had like real winters, you know, it's not like it was snowing or anything like that, but no. it would get down to the teens. Yeah. You know, it'd be like 17, 18 degrees. Yeah. And it was windy as hell yeah. for like four months out of the year. That was honestly the worst part about living there. Like Vegas and Lancaster, Palmdale, like so- SoCal high desert weather is very, very similar. It is. It's just that Vegas is, does not get quite as cold and it does not get nearly as windy. Cause it's like, it's so windy there that it just makes it miserable. To yeah, and I lived in, I, I totally get you. I lived in Marina Valley in the eighties. Okay. Yep. So, and there was one time when we woke up and it was snow on the ground and everybody flipped out yep. because there was snow out there in that, that area of Paris. You get a half inch of snow yeah. and it's like, cancel everything. <laughs> we shut down the roads. <laughs> we went to school half of the day and they shut it down because <laughs> kids were falling off and slipping off things right. and hitting, them, hitting their head. But yeah, it's uh so you get, you get used to it. But so grew up in SoCal. Yeah. Did you like growing up in that area? What were some of the things you were getting into as a kid? Were, was it, you know, were you into sports, academics, family? Like what, what were you doing? Sports was, I mean, religious in our household. Okay. My dad was a semi-pro ball player in the 70s. He okay. played for the San Jose Bees, which was a farm team. Again, in the 70s, there wasn't a lot of money. So a lot of a lot of guys that talk about that where the 80s was the transitional point in professional baseball where money really started to pour in. So he didn't really pursue that as a full-time career, even though he had prospects to be, you know, drafted to the pros. But mm. So I grew up in that house. So I'm the oldest of three boys. We all played sports. We kind of found our niche. My middle brother and I both played baseball, but he was more of a football player, even though I did okay. play a little football. My youngest brother was a track star and they were both wrestlers as well. So okay. for me, it was baseball and then football when I wasn't playing baseball, a little bit of soccer randomly until I just kind of got bored with that. But baseball was the primary focus pitcher and oh, sports nice. was it. My dad was a diehard surfer. So he tried to get a lot of us into that. Yeah. I don't think I really clicked with it. Even super I, active lifestyle. Super then. active lifestyle. BMX riding. I'm, I'm Gen X. So I was outside every single day. Yeah. If I wasn't playing my my game, trading baseball cards, riding my BMX bike, skating. You know, you, yeah. we lived in a time where you would have to go knock on the door to get your friends to come out. Yeah. You know, the phone that was hooked up on the side of the wall and you didn't know who was going to be on that end when it rang until right. you answered it. I mean, I, I miss those days sometimes, but sure. a very active lifestyle. We got into boxing when we were, you know, young and did okay. that for many years. Karate. I mean, we did, my dad kind of pushed us around to stretch our, our comfort levels. And what did your dad do? 
my dad's been a real estate agent since I think I was born. Oh, no way. So you have that in common as well. Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> my dad's been, I mean, since I was like six, maybe five. Yeah. My dad's been a real estate agent. Yeah. yeah. That's all I remember was he would sell really good properties. He made good money. He also was a regional director for the United States Postal Service. So he did that for a while no as way. well. And then he helped to run some of the different regions for the Del Taco franchise. Okay. Uh, yeah. So he had he wow. kind of like played around in the entrepreneurial sure. bouncing around world because his parents were, his dad was a retired cop. A D-Day World War II vet, and his okay. mother was an entrepreneur as well. Okay, I grew up around that kind of lifestyle. I just didn't understand it, and uh, I think sports was just the primary focus. I thought sure. I'll be a sure. professional pitcher, and that's kind of where I was going to go. What, what about your mom? Was she uh, kind of do just been, she's active? yeah she was the uh, same thing. She was a supervisor for the U.S. Postal Service for a long time. Okay, stayed home mom. You know, yeah. Shannon got done with that and kind of stayed home with the kids, three boys, you know, yeah. three, three wild boys. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is no easy time. And I grew up in an Irish, Scottish, you know, Native American family. So it's yeah. kind of, we were rambunctious and we had a lot of good fun and it was a big family. Yeah. 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 So she, yeah, she, she kept busy. Yeah, she did. To say the least. She did. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing as a paramount. It's crazy thinking about how much time you have to give to the kids beyond just being with them. When, especially as they start to get older. My son's right. four where he's about to be in kindergarten. Wow. And so now it's thinking about like, oh man, sports, we've got sports coming up. It's like, well, there goes our weekends. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like legitimately thinking back to when I was a kid being like, you, you don't give your parents credit for stuff like that. Until you, you don't see it, right? Right. You, you think it's just normal life. Right? right. But then it's like, ah, do I really want to take my Saturday mornings to like go watch like six-year-olds not uh, play basketball, yeah, you know, because yeah, none yeah. of them know how to play. Just run Which around. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like a, a bad news bear style right, stuff. But yeah. your mom did that. Sounds yeah, like a lot. And my dad did too. He was a coach sports. as well. I mean, oh, really? I had him part of the time as a coach. Wow. My dad was, you know, very connected in the sports world. Sounds so like he had a strong work ethic. Strong work ethic, very connected in the sports world. So I grew up around guys like Rod Carew from the Angels, Bo Jackson. Wow. I, um, I, I met these guys through my dad and wow. family members. It's highly impactful for Very impactful. Well, at nine years old, my dad introduced me to Mickey Mantle, and that's wow. that was a huge memory of mine that I'll never, never let go. I cherish it. Okay, no getting his autograph, talking to him in a little private signing. I mean, I was avid in baseball, so mm-hmm. I got to be around those guys. I got trained by the California Angels pitching staff when I was young to learn how to pitch much more efficiently, to yeah. learn my arsenal. So it was nice to have those experiences. So it was, it was almost like fruitful for me to be able to be exposed to these high performers and that really challenge you and push you. And I learned at a young age what leadership, teamwork, and all that meant yeah. because of that. Yeah. You, know, you get a new standard when you get around people like that. Yeah. You know, like you, you sometimes just don't understand, even if you want the result, you don't understand the work that goes into it until you go get around people who are putting in that work. Right. Or, or, who, or who have put in that work. Right. And it starts to reset what you view as being possible. It right? does. It's like yeah. um, I was interviewing Ed Milet. He said something that that I'll that I'll never forget. It's just like a short little phrase that's always stuck with me since he said it, and I've thought about it a lot since then. And it's extremity expands capacity, and that's what happens when you get around people like that. Is you see that like you don't view yourself as being capable of doing some of these things, but then when you get around people who are doing them like every day, multiple times, you know what I mean? The, yeah. It just, it changes your definition of what you think is even possible. I look at it as, as the exposure therapy cliche. Sure. You're sure. being exposed to it because again, not everybody is built to be in those environments and yeah. to thrive and have their capacity reach those levels of potential. Right. However, it doesn't mean that you can't learn something. It doesn't mean you can't be pushed, challenged and stretched. Right. What I've discovered was in those experiences, what it made me recognize was, okay, where are my weaknesses? Where are my blind spots? Mm-hmm. Because these guys are going to expect me to show up every single day and perform yeah. like them, even though I'm nine. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, exactly. so it was nice because I was throwing, you know, I, I was throwing an 80 mile an hour fastball when I was 13 years old. Wow. So for me, I, that, that, that took all that effort and work and push. My dad right. was relentless with me. Sure. But that was because he knew the capacity I had. So I just realized, you know what? I loved it. I loved to play. I love to be challenged and push. It, yeah. it was scary sometimes, but you stand on a mound as a pitcher being the guy that's starting it all and holding the team together. You got to show up and you got to step up or you're going to fail. And so. it'll at least tell you if that's a passion that is still a passion. Right. Or right? you walk like, away from it. Yeah. Right. Like you <laughs> see like how much work goes into it and you're like, yeah. actually, I kind of don't really care that yeah. much right. <laughs> about this. Right. Let's go find something I do care enough yeah. about to put in that amount yeah. of work because it's not this. And there are factors that can cause that to happen too outside of the, of your own personal So that's what I was going to ask you, yeah. especially as a parent now, yeah. as now I look, I look at almost everything through the lens of like being a dad and it's, and it's something that I've thought about with my own kids. It's like, where's the line? in terms of like pushing them to be the best that they can be 
while also allowing them to be a kid and express their emotions mm-hmm. and express who they are, but not allowing them to settle if that's not what they desire. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, I, do. I guess, yeah. like, did, did you look back on that time at all? Like, when you were going through it, did you look at it as like dad's being a hard ass? And now looking back on it, do you look at it like that at all? Or is it more <laughs> like, I'm very thankful for that? I wasn't at the time, yeah. but now I am. I got I'm asked that question twi- uh, once or twice before yours. Okay. I look back and go, yes, I, at times I was, I was irritated at my dad. It's normal to be that way. I think yeah. we, we beat ourselves up thinking we've got to just succumb to it and just do it because it's, it's happening to us. But mm-hmm. for me, I, there was times I didn't, you know, I rebelled a little bit and I pushed back and I, you know, I fought my dad tooth and nail through the process of really growing in being an athlete, but also being a son, yeah, being yeah. a good kid and getting good grades, winning awards, going, you know, doing all those little things that you do as just a normal student. That was important to him too, as well. You mm-hmm. know, it was like your studies matter. You're going to do your- To be well-rounded. Be well-rounded. My dad's very stoic. There was a lot of discipline in the household. Mm-hmm. If you you messed up, you knew you messed up. You, you know, there were prices to pay at different levels. Sure. Based on the crime committed. <laughs> yeah. So I would right. say that, you know- I, Or the I, age that you Right. Were I think what ended up happening was that my father, in his mind, wanted the best for his kids. I think all parents do. Sure. So his push wasn't because he was just trying to be mean and trying to be a jerk. And he wasn't doing it because he wanted, he wanted me to do what he didn't do. Yeah. In That's the, 70s. the danger, right? His, Even though I know part of him deep down inside was like, okay, my kid's got the talent mm-hmm. and there's money in this game and he mm-hmm. could really go the distance. I don't blame him for pushing. Yeah. I think some parents want their kids to succeed so bad that they're re- willing to override the relationship between themselves and their child mm-hmm. and they're willing to damage it unwillingly. So they can push their child to get there. And that's, I think, where we have a lot of problems with parents and kids. And kids rebel really young because they don't feel like their their parent really is understanding them. Or they don't take the time to sit down with them and go, you know what? I'm pushing you, but is this still something where you you really want to go? My dad would do that. He'd come in in my room and say, you know, how are you doing? You know, how was that game? I know you, you, know, you didn't do as good as you wanted to. Do you still want to keep going? He would do that year in and year out. We'd have our own little reflection. Yeah, you know? sure. And I think it's all about the relationship dynamic between you and your kid is, yeah. is recognizing, slowing down and going, okay, who's my child supposed to be? Who did they come in this world to be? Or sure. am I trying to mold them into what I think they should be? Right. And that's into that, like a little yeah, mini version. That's of the me. discernment muscle, I think. And again, I'm not a parent, even yeah. though I have do- a dog and I consider you know, taking care of my dog as a kid yeah. sometimes. But at the end of the day, I have, I'm an uncle and I have that experience as being a son. And I mm-hmm. think it's, that's what it came down to was. Yeah. It's know? like that extreme narcissism yeah. level of parenting where you stop helping your kid become the full version of themselves and you want them to become a little mini version of you, or at least right. what you thought you could have been right? because you have so many other regrets that, around the way you chose to live. Or right. Whatever. I mean, immigrants are that way. You know, there's mm-hmm. many immigrants, their parents are that way. They want them to be the you know, the doctor, the lawyer, sure, right? sure, the, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. all of that. But it's almost like, have you explored what your, your child is gravitating towards? Right. Maybe at some point they will be that, but allowing them to navigate life and learn about themselves in their environment while yeah. having that support and that love and that, that, you know, push. I think there's a balance there that, that is unfortunately missing quite a bit in our society today. Yeah. Yeah. So I played a lot of sports. I did. Growing up yep. strong academically, or at least, you know, we're pushed yeah. that way toward for a while. with your parents. <laughs> what, what was the path for you post high school? So it's interesting. I'm going to pull back a little bit on what you had mentioned earlier was the transition of, hey, do you want to still do this? And yeah. for me, when I got into high school, I kind of always, I started to develop and understand that I, I always felt a little different just in my family and, and being around people and then getting to high school when you really are developing your personalities and your relationships and the cliques and the, the culture you grow up in, I started to feel almost like a, a fracture mentally mm. with where I wanted to go with sports and what my life was supposed to be. I didn't understand it at the time, but for me, I started to feel a little bit too much of the pressure with, okay. I got to be a, a master at the game and I have to be a master in school and those two worlds while trying to figure out my footing with friends and where I fit in, in the world around me, I used to hang out with the skaters and the punkers and the athletes. And I just was just moving around that I found I was actually doing a lot of the stuff that I was doing because I was born into it and I never chose any of that. So for me in high school, that's where I kind of started to explore a little bit more of Um, what do I want? That's really, really. I mean, that's good for you to realize that as like that young of a kid. It's I, I was surprised. Again, I wasn't as privy to the understanding of why I was going that route, but sure. I just knew I just needed to do it. I started to feel this natural rebel side of me, if you will. I yeah. hate to use that term. I hate that term, but it's just a natural inkling for me to go, okay, I need to figure out what I want to do. Right. 
And that decision was, it's interesting how naturally I started meeting these cowboys, these rodeo cowboys, Mm -hmm. where I lived in Southern California and I fell in love with the seductive nature of rodeo. Mm. And of course, it pissed my dad off. Of course. And that, that was a very uncomfortable household for a little while in Mm. that transition. It was almost like I can, you want to talk about the ultimate punch in the stomach, never going away for you. I felt that every day coming home from school because I knew I wanted to go do this. Yeah. My dad wanted me to be a baseball player and I'm starting to throw away a potential future. Yeah. So we had arguments, we had fights and my dad was really angry with me that, but I still did it anyway. And at 16 years old, I got on the back of my first bull and I fell in love with it. And it was like a whole new world opened Southern up to California. me. Southern California, Lake is Elsinore. It, I yeah. was going to say, is there like, there, there's got to be a little All community in, of ranchers and stuff. Cause All over. there's yeah. a, people, yeah. people, uh, when you say SoCal, people automatically think so, the beaches and yeah. LA yeah. and Hollywood and all yeah. these other things. But there's a lot of rural areas all up and down Southern California and some of the most beautiful, like absolutely. I mean, you got to consider Corona, Norco, yeah. Lake Elsinore, all up in, inside the Inland Empire. They're Northern California. People are shocked. You're right. They're shocked. They think Southern California has got to be surfer. Yeah. That's all it is. It's like the, the ditzy Vallon and the surfer dude. Mm-hmm. And the reality is there's a lot of rodeo cowboys, ranchers, and people that are a little bit different out there. And yeah. I found them. So Lake Elsinore was where I rode for the first time. Okay. And it's interesting is at the time in the nineties, the professional rodeo circuit, majority of the guys that were on the circuit were from S- Southern California. Oh, no way. Yeah, it was interesting, but <laughs> I was around a couple of pro cowboys. They started to mentor me. I, they were, they asked me after my first ride, do you want to do that again? And it's either a yes or a no. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's, there's, there's not a lot of, hmm. no. Yeah. Let me, hmm. let, let me ponder yeah. this and I'm going to posit that maybe perhaps I might go, <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. Right. And what's interesting is my very first ride I fell off about two and a half seconds and, and the bull slip fell on me and, and Charlie horsed my leg. Mm. And when he turned to get up off the ground, he we locked eyes for a split second. That that frightened me, but it also turned me on. It's weird as it sounds. <laughs> and when it turned me on, I felt a shock move through my body. And yeah. as I'm crawling away on my hands and knees to get the heck out of the, the arena, even though, I mean, it's not like he was the most ranked bull coming after me. Right, right. I didn't know. When I got up, that's when he came up and said, you want to do that again? And I was like, hell yes, I do. <laughs> I don't know. I just came out of me. So I started riding every weekend and I did that from the next five years. Every weekend. Every weekend. Especially. Even when I joined the military in my junior year in high school, I was yeah. still riding bulls. And then when I got back and I finished my senior year and I went active duty, I was still on the weekends when I wasn't training or deployed somewhere. I was out finding a place where I can go ride. And hmm. I just, it was just, it was a draw that. Was that, was that like the only piece of the rodeo that you ever like engaged yeah, in? Yeah, I was a bull rider. That okay. was, that was it. I mean, it's, that's enough, I think, right? <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. But that, that world really, I'll bring you back to performance aspect of just understanding my capacity was for me, I really discovered a whole new side of what it means to be connected to yourself mm. in the moment. Yeah. Bull riding, the world, people see it on the screen. It looks crazy and fascinating, but when you're in it and you get on the back of that animal and you're tying your rope and you feel that life underneath you, you know that that 1500 pound, 2000 pound animal is going to buck and he's going to try to throw you off at all costs. You can get hurt. It's almost like it forces you to truly be present. Oh, it forces yeah. you to feel things you don't usually feel when we're distracted by the noise of life. Yeah. And every time I got on the back, it, it was an opportunity for me to practice that presence and really focus on my breath, my heartbeat, my emotions, my intuition, even yeah. though I didn't even know what intuition was at the time, but learning how to really connect. And it's amazing is every time I did that through a practice, I always did really well. And the times that I was rushing, the times that I was a little off and to let the nerves get to me, yeah. I got banged up. Hmm. So I started to, to see the difference between those two worlds and go, you know what? Okay. Let me focus really on the discomfort of presence, the discomfort of being pushed, challenged, stretched, holding myself in this moment yeah. and letting that energy, that piece of me be what helps propel my performance when I call the gate or when I go swing the bat or when I go, you know, jump in the ocean, whatever it might be. And I yeah. found that that really helped me grow as a man and really introduced me to a whole new world of how to handle chaos in a different way. What is the the actual risk for bull riders? Like, I know that there's a lot of rhetoric mm-hmm. around it, but if you're, if you're talking about like, you know, moat, like what percentage of people are going to not be able to do it because of a really terrible injury versus, you know, actual like real risk of injury, death, like terrible injuries, those types of things. So you're asking the percentage? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, like, the I, real risk. On, I can't, I don't want to speak out of, out of turn and, and, and speak just. A quote a statistic that you don't know, but. There's always an inherent risk yeah. in any kind of extreme sport like that. Sure. People do get hurt all the time. 
I think the more you are engaged in that sport, the more likely you're going to get injured through the process. Five years of doing it, I got hurt. Yeah. Banged up, you know, bloody, fat lips, black eyes. I mean, Charlie horses all the time. Yeah. I mean, hitting the ground really hard when you miss your dismount. There's a lot of times you, you learn how to ride an animal and you learn how to time when you cover the board, ride for eight seconds. You're supposed to un- unwind your own rope and you're supposed to look for the cowboys are there to pick up pick up men is what they call them. Those guys riding the horses come get you. you know, look, the clowns are going to do their job to distract the bull. And then you have to learn how to feel the bull and try to t- try to time the bull to get off of it mm-hmm. so that you can land on your feet. It doesn't always work that way. It does take practice. <laughs> imagine, A lot of those yeah. pros are really good because they do all that. They live, breathe, and eat that stuff. Yeah. For me, I didn't live, eat, and breathe it as much as they do, even though I was doing it every weekend. I, I think what it was is like every time I got hurt, it gave me an opportunity to learn how to do better the next time. Mm. It was almost like I can appreciate that pain. Yeah. That pain really, really helped me build it's muscle. feedback. It's instant biofeedback. Yeah. I mean, I remember I hit the ground really hard one time and I, it, I, I it's not knocking uh, the wind out of you. It actually knocks more wind into you, believe it or not. That's why we suck. Try and actually exhale. Mm. A lot of times when you have that experience, it, they tell you to actually exhale because you're trying, your body's already sucked in so much wind. So when I hit the ground and that happened to me, I'm crawling on my arms like a low crawl, like mil- military to get out of there and I can't breathe. And it felt like my ribs were broken. And I mean, I hit the ground really hard. My my buddies heard the thud and it was really loud. And I thought, I'm I'm done. I'm going to the hospital. I, I punctured something that broke something. Yeah. didn't do anything. Just really bruised up the whole side of me. But it was because I, I rushed. I rushed. And I think a lot of cowboys will say this. Like, look, it's all about practice. It's all about re- repetition. It's all about focus. Yeah. And then I fractured my L4, and that was the last ride I ever did when I, I was 21. I was in the Army still, and we were training. This was like seven months, six, seven months before Afghanistan, before wow. September 11th happened. And I was lucky that I was rehabbed and able to go. But yeah, that was a, the lesson for me was like, okay, I fit my limits. Yeah. I think- Like I'm not pursuing this I'm professionally. Good. This was not yeah. going to be my profession, and I I wanted to be a soldier. I had yeah. aspirations of being in the special operations community. I was like, if I'm going to be good, I'm going to be good enough to get into the community. I have to be ready and I can't be doing stupid stuff like this. So I think that was the yeah. lesson that woke me up. I got the experience and learned how to be a man in that realm. And then it propelled me into the military. Sure. And that is where I took took it from there. Between yeah. baseball, <clears throat> football, rodeo, everything that you did, what what are some of, I guess, not not necessarily like lessons you took away from sports, but like what would you say to you know parents who maybe didn't grow up like you grew up really active lifestyle with really active parents who pushed you to do these things and gave you these opportunities, introduced you to your, your heroes. And it seems rather obvious that you would end up being in athletics growing up in a household like that. But for maybe some parents who didn't grow up being athletic and maybe almost vilify it because maybe they were made fun of by people who sure. were the jocks in school and they sure. were the nerd and, and you know what I mean? But I guess, what would you say to people who are considering putting their kids in sports, but don't really know anything about it and don't really know how to navigate it like how useful, hmm. if at all, was it to your ability to learn how to become a man? I, I think it's, yeah, I, that's a good question. I think community is important. I think parents that are maybe nervous about doing that, putting their kids there, have no idea. That's where you should then go, okay, if I don't have the idea, maybe I should involve myself in the communities that are built and designed to answer these questions, hmm. to give me the understanding. Because if I feel compelled to put my child in a sport because activity is important, it really is. I think that era we grew up in, everyone was active. So it was yeah. natural in our culture to be outside until the street lights come on or you hear mom whistling around the corner. We were never stuck in a home just looking at academics as the end all be all to life. Sure. Yeah. Sure. We Did we have our Ataris and our Nintendos? Sure we did. But we played those on Sunday after breakfast. That was mm-hmm. kind of like our, I, I think what it was, it was the culture, the community. And if parents that don't ne- necessarily feel comfortable right now and don't understand it, that, then it would behoove them to maybe get involved in parent-teacher stuff, community boards, finding athletics that might fit their son's capabilities, yeah. their daughter's capabilities. Because at the end of the day, I think sometimes parents will put, they'll put their child in a football should probably attra- be a track star. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it's like, no offense to them, but hey, you can you can tell. Right. The small, frail, you know, framed person yeah. may not be the person you put into, you know, the, the full contact sport. Sure. Sure. Or maybe they want to, and you give them the opportunity to have the experience. Yeah, to overcome You're willing to go, you know what? If I overprotect my child from getting hurt, my child's never going to understand their own limits. Yeah. And and what's going to happen is they're not going to know how to handle and manage life when life really gets hard exactly. and when life starts to throw punches. Because I think that's what we're having a lot of kids now are the moment they're held 
and they face a consequence or they, they are in an altercation, they don't know how to handle it. They yeah. break down and they fall apart and then they, they all the whole world just seems to be against them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I guess that's what I would say. I think it was nice to have that exposure and to get hurt. I mean, I got hurt quite a bit yeah. growing up. Scars all over my face, uh, smacked my face on the ground, skateboarding. I fell off things, trees, et cetera. And I think that makes you strong. And I, yeah. my parents never got scared of it. They just let us go do it. And then we yeah. got hurt. They're like, all right, we're going to get stitches. That's <laughs> how it works. Nature of the beast. So yeah, it breaks, yeah. we fix it. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. Yeah, I, I just think that I just, I just feel like there's a there's a disservice because, again, it's a little bit uh, it's a different time now because mm-hmm. there are unlimited career paths now sure. that will never put you in any sort of athletic position. No, but physical health is dependent on moving your body. Like you are way less likely to be in good physical health when you're 35 if you never did any right. sports or athletics growing up. Right, you just don't know the things that you don't know, no. and and sometimes it's a factor in terms of like. Oh, now I have a fear of embarrassment to go to the gym because I don't know what I'm doing. And yeah. like, I know that's a weight, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. Like, I, like I'm going to look really dumb. I'm really weak. So I'm going to look really weak and dumb. Yeah. And then, you know, and I don't have enough money or whatever to pay this trainer to teach me. There's just, there's so many things that I feel like you're, you're starting your kids off at this like disadvantage to live an optimal life because physical health is bottom line, a fact that it is a part of living an optimal life. It is. You know, you don't have to be yep. a bodybuilder. You no. don't have to have a six pack. No. But like Movement. physical health matters. Well, that's uh, all. Yeah, absolutely. Movement. We are built to move. Yeah. Humans were designed to move. Even as it relates to mental health. All of it. Yeah. Well, your physical health helps with the mental health. Right. And I think that's, again, sedentary lifestyles, right? You breed weakness. Right. But the beautiful thing is, in contrast to my era, being a, in my mid 40s now, the advantages that these kids do have now is the YouTube world. Mm. There is an endless sea of videos on how to's. Sure. Yeah. There is. To me, I look at these things. I'm like, man, I really wish I had some of those stuff. But we were in a different era and we yep. learned through our real world experiences by being thrown out in the wild. Right. Doesn't mean that this nowadays, they, they can't look at a video and go, okay, if I don't know how to lift the weight, I can go online. I can look at you know, there's a, a guy on there uh, on social media, Joey Swole. He's this big, like, you know, does this uh, mind your business stuff on Twitter and things like that. But he's a he's a bodybuilder and he loves helping young kids who don't know. Mm-hmm. The ones that are are unaware of how to do these things. There are yeah. other people out there that are willing to do that. They make these free things for them to learn. I think that's the thing is parents can go, you know what? I don't have to feel so overwhelmed. But the, the problem is, is people are afraid to take action. Mm-hmm. It's Sometimes when I even get up, I get up at 4, 4 a.m. every morning, sometimes 4.30, depends I'm a little lazy that day. And I go to the gym because nobody's at the gym. Yeah. And I like that, or I go out rocking in the mountains or whatever, and I like it because it's peaceful and quiet. There are some days like, oh, I'm like, dude, I don't want to, I don't really want to do this, but mm-hmm. I take the action and I go do it anyway. I might sit there for a few minutes as long as I'm in the environment I said I want to be in. Yep. It's amazing how I just, maybe I'll walk a hundred yards. Yeah, right. You know, and I'll stop and sit down on the mountain and I go, you know what? I feel like doing another hundred. It's like breaking through the barrier of lack of movement. Taking action, even if it's that small of a step, is so much more important than it is to just avoid it because you're afraid of looking stupid or not knowing how to do it. And honestly, asking questions, I don't care what anybody says. It's like, I am i was the guy in the military. I asked my superiors questions constantly. Mm-hmm. And sometimes yeah. they tell me, shut the F up. It's like, you know what? Yeah. I'm like, dude, I just want to know. It may be a stupid question, but I don't know that. Right. And I looked, I felt embarrassed. My face would get hot. Right. But I did right. it anyway. I felt this like I got to know it. Yeah. So I think that people need to start doing that too. Well, it's Just, like the most dangerous type of person to be is somebody who pretends to know something and will not ask the question to clarify, yeah. even yeah. though they don't know what it is. Yeah. And especially yeah. in a military setting, like those, that is... That's yeah, the definition of a dangerous person. Yeah. You know? Dunning Kruger in a full effect, you know, they, yeah. they're they're too they're they're overly confident about their confidence. They have no idea they're not Unearned, as good as what they really think yeah. they are. Yeah. Unearned confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Detrimental, not willing to ask questions because yeah. it might expose them as a fraud yeah. that they know themselves to be. It's yeah, it, it's a it's a it's a recipe for failure regardless of the, the career <laughs> path that you choose. Yeah. And, and there's always something you huge. can do. If you're gonna be a computer geek. There's yeah. things you can go, go play badminton. There's so much activity right. involved in doing, <laughs> people hear that and they laugh, go badminton. Those guys and gals move around on those courts. Yep. There's there's movement there. Do something that you find yourself fascinated by that gives your body movement because a mm-hmm. little bit of movement is better than zero whatsoever. Right. Right. And it does in fact build upon itself. 
I, and I just remember getting out of the military. I was like, I want to learn how to lift weights the right way. I want to get a little bit bigger. I want to get in some, some really serious shape. Yeah. And I went to the guy that I was working private security with and he was a, a power lifter. And I was like, Hey man, train me. And he goes, all right. Yeah. Simple as that. I just didn't, I, what do I got to lose? The guy mm-hmm. can say no. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Right. And he trained me and I started to get really getting into it. And I started power lifting for a while and I really enjoyed how good it felt, but you never know until you ask the question. And I think, you know, it's my dad said, closed mouths don't get fed. You yeah. Know? Right. Even dude, it's just like even small stuff. What going for walks? Yeah, you all, know, all the time. Yeah, that's play, the best. Play pickleball. Yeah, what, whatever it is, you know, ping pong. <laughs> like yeah. do something I love physical. Ping pong, by like, the way, that's a good. <laughs> that's a good. <laughs> dude, you know, like yeah. what's funny is when you are used to doing something for a while and then you stop doing it, mm-hmm. and then you go back to doing it, and you realize like, like if you like, when I whenever I stopped playing ping pong for a long time and I go play again, it was like. My legs are sore the next day almost because of how many times you like bend over to pick up the ball. Right. You know, it's moving like side you're moving to side. around. Yeah. It's like, man, yeah. this actually this actually burns some calories. It does. Like, being long, like you it's just amazing. don't think that it would. Absolutely. But you get out there and you have some com- com- some competition. Yeah. It's like, man, I'm sweating my ass off by the time I'm done playing ping pong. It is. Know? It's a good time. Yeah. yeah. Just movement matters. We're built to move. And if you don't, you suffer. Right. Yeah. Right. With the work that you're doing now, you have a lot of other things that are on your plate. Where do you, I guess, perceive your calling, your purpose? Like, where do you feel is like you doing your best work? Right. You know, that's time, perfect timing, the, the question. It's interesting because the last 14 years now, I, I can't believe it's been 14 years. The work I do, I've been behind the scenes. So okay. I, I so the pandemic forced me kind of come out and I, and a lot of things were, were, were kind of going to crap with leadership and, and the personal development space and people just failing miserably. The whole experience with uh, the pandemic forced me to kind of come out of the shadows, if you will, because we weren't, okay. I wasn't going to meetings anymore, conferences, private parties, et cetera. And I've only worked, you know, with a couple, two, three people a year, every year for the last 14 years, leaders, CEOs, okay. celebrities, professional athletes, as you know, what the, my clients like to call me their performance accelerator. But at, at the end of the day, the nature of my work is so unconventional okay, and uniquely different to what is typically taught, sold, and marketed in the personal development space. So I am feel like an anomaly, if you will, out in the world because it's I, I ask of people to do things that they normally would not want to do and they tend to run away from that stuff. So the last 14 years, it's been great. I think the last year I've kind of taken a, a step back, slow down a little bit to pivot and figure out what do I want to do because given how the world's going right now with everything. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Going on overseas, impending new conflicts that, that are in fact coming, the nature of the hyperpolarization in our political landscape and Americans fighting each other. 
it's almost like, where can I go now and use my skills and use my gift that I was born to this world with? Where is it that I can take what it is that I know and I can plug it into something a little bit bigger to have a more, more substantial impact to help affect the changes that we're going through. And it's interesting is I've had some conversations with some colonels that I know lately, and I've had a lot of people ask me that I should consider going back into the military mm. now, which I, I'm like, okay, I'm what four, almost 44 years old. I'm going, really? They're like, yeah, we, we need people like you to come back in. Veterans need to get back into the military. And I'm like, okay, I served five and a half years as a light infantryman with the 101st Airborne Division. I had three tours overseas. I went to combat in Afghanistan and Iraq. I did see my fair share of bad situations and then I got out. Now there's a long story to that, but at this point, it's like I have now this path of, okay, am I supposed to go back into the military and get into the special operations community and go do maybe advisement in the civil affairs department where I can work directly with battlefield leaders, given the nature of my work, or do I pivot and figure out how do I join forces with other people that are doing th big things and saying, here, here's how I can plug in my specialty into what you're doing already, mm -hmm. because you have bigger reach. You have more impact on these certain types of folks. So yeah. I think I'm at a, right now, a, a fork in the road, mm. my own personal crossroads. Yeah. And I'm, I'm making those decisions wisely. I'm praying every day. I'm considering like, where do I want to allow myself to be driven yeah. towards yeah. instead of trying to just make it a, a rash decision that may sure. not be the best fit for me. But that's the best way I can answer that is like, I, yeah. to me, it's like, how do I build a consortium now with other veterans in positions of influence and power, mm -hmm. other leaders, so I can add in the nature of me as this, you know, confidant and advisor accelerator to really help push leadership in a new direction and help challenge the status quo that's typically being offered to these types of people. And yeah. how do I help disrupt the way things are kind of falling apart right now? Or do I go back in the military and a couple of these colonels like you should go and you should get into the special forces pipeline. They, you know, I talked to a recruiter like, yes, well, we can bring you back in. We can get you into, into this pipeline and you can go try out to be a green beret. And you can go work in that, that realm. I was like, okay, great. Now I have what it is that I, I'm looking for on the table and now we can make Potential our decision paths. based on it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, that's where I'm at right now. When, when you're yeah. faced with a decision like this is, I think this would be really helpful for people listening when it's like a life altering thing, when it's like literally these two paths, though they are congruent or similar, maybe even parallel, they take me to wildly different places. How do you make decisions like that? Do you like, is there some type of a deadline that you put on yourself? Is this kind of like, a, I'll sit on it until I feel like something's like, is there a structure or a system? If you were your own high performance client yeah. that was coming against a decision yeah, like That's this, good. how would you coach <laughs> them to make it? Well, the, the beautiful thing is if I was my own client, I, I would absolutely strip away everything that is traditionally done when it comes to decision-making. So most people, most leaders, most influencers, those that are highly driven people have their set ways and protocols on how they make decisions. They've mm -hmm. built empires based on that. Mm -hmm. But if they want to advance far beyond that and they want to change direction and they want to expand in ways they haven't done yet, they have to abandon those old principles and they have to be willing to do a little bit more of the unconventional approach to where else can I tap into maybe unseen potential that I have not been able to access yet for myself and then make decisions from there. And for me, I, it's not about forcing a decision. It's not about waiting for it. I don't sit on these things is I have my faith. I pray, I wake up, I, I stick to my guns and do the things I need to get done. I have conversations. I I'm willing to put myself on a limb and explore what may or may not be a good fit. When mm -hmm. things come to me, I, I engage in them. Yeah. And sometimes when I engage them and they fall off, that wasn't the right door. Sometimes when they when they do and they continue to open, I follow that path. Mm. I think we get caught up in our own heads thinking it has to be done this way. Yeah. So yeah. if I make the decision, I have to go that way because if I go back into the military, which it, it, it's crazy to even think, but I'm still training like it every day. I mean, I'm already humping in the mountains with 35, 40 pounds on my back. I run every day. I go to the gym, let weight lift. I'm like, just in case, you know, sure. get myself ready, but I like to work out. If I force myself to go in that direction, may, it may not be the best decision for me right now. Mm. I may choose to sign that contract, not make it through a certain pipeline, or you know, I'm, I'm motivated, so I, I would be gr gritting my teeth to, to drive through and make it. Yeah, but maybe that's not the right path for me. Maybe I get there and I'm like, this is not what I, re I really wanted to do. Maybe this is not the place I should have been. Yeah, and I should have listened to, you know, when that door opened up, my partner tell me, hey, you should have that conversation with that guy who wants to 
to kind of build a, a mastermind with you, maybe explore mm-hmm. what that means, working with, you know, 20 high level people, leaders, et cetera, together, given his background, yours, and maybe you should have gone that route. And mm-hmm. I, so I go, you know what, what doors are naturally authentically moving for me? Let yeah. me walk through them. Let me have the conversations and the right ones will ultimately present themselves. And then I decide and act on those. Mm-hmm. So I don't force someone unless it's absolutely necessary, sure. unless I know for a fact that they need to be pushed in that direction. How, how much is like, how much is time a factor, right? It's not in the the context of making the decision, but in the context of the potential paths forward, right? Meaning that like in 10 years from now, mm-hmm. probably special forces is not going to be on the table. Oh, right. No. Like, but no. starting a mastermind and helping 20 leaders definitely is on the table. You can do that yeah. when you're 70. Yeah. Right. Are there certain, I guess, weighted factors within that decision-making process that you're considering? When you're yeah. I'm considering absolutely the timing right now. Yeah. Cause I'm looking at it this way. I am rehabbing a couple old injuries mm. from riding sport bikes, from just, just being an athlete. I jump out of airplanes. I've done it the last nine years. Yep. So I have to rehab some old injuries. The VA is taking care of that. I'm talking to recruiters. We're kind of going through the the process. Yeah. It could be a six months to a year before I remotely even have an opportunity to sit down with MEPS hmm. and discuss the contract. Gotcha. I'm going to experience over the next month or two, whether or not that might be the best bet for me, because I'm going to allow myself to go through the process and see what works and what doesn't. Hmm. If they tell me, hey, your recovery is going to take a little longer, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to talk to my wife. I'm going to talk to my business partner. I'm going to say, you know what? This is probably not the best bet for me. Yeah. I appreciate and respect that people see the value in me doing that. Absolutely. It feels kind of cool, like oh, I can go back in and do oh, some some high speed to stuff. Say the, I mean, on the on the other side of forty to be, yeah, you know, and there are guys doing it. They're they just graduated a forty year old out of out of the Q course. Wow, so forty year old Green Beret. I think the oldest I someone said that they've seen graduate from the Q course was forty six. Wow, older guys are doing it. It's not impossible because if you're in the right state of mind in the right shape, you can do it. Age sure. is just a a linear factor. You sure. know, it's it doesn't uh, define your health. Right. So I think what it is, is I'm taking those steps. I'm taking the action and making decisions on a smaller scale towards these different opportunities and whatever naturally works and flows is the direction I'm going to allow myself to lean into and go. I'm not going to get hung up and say, but I really want to be a soldier again. Yeah. And I'm going to fight and hold on to this idea because it would be really cool to go, you know, kicking, kicking doors and shoot bad guys in the face again. Okay. Yeah. So why am I going to grip that? Right. I think we grip, people grip, successful people grip, my clients grip. They grip constant. I got to do it this way. And I have to strip them away from that and break them down and make them face the ugly truth about things that they've overridden to make those decisions and go, you know what? That's, you know why it sucks? Why you're breaking down, your relationships aren't thriving, even though you're making millions of dollars over here is because you're forcing yourself in that direction. Hmm. You're not aware of what's actually hindering your capacity and your ability to have a balanced, optimal life of peace while you're doing the things you say you want to do. And a lot of, most of the time, they come back and go, you know what? I never really wanted to be doing this in the beginning with. I just mm-hmm. made decisions based on what I thought I was supposed to do and based on kind of the skill sets I had at the time and that people were giving me money. Yeah, so I just right. did that. And I let everything else suffer. So you made poor decisions, even though you may have been successful from a monetary standpoint. And they go, you know what? I have to, I stopped listening to myself and I started doing things against what it is I should have been listening to. Yeah, man. That, that's something, that concept I've given a lot of thought to recently. Yeah. It's like, what do you really want? Mm. What do you want? What do you want out of life? And because uh, I, just, I just feel like yeah, nobody ever asked you that question growing. It's like no. beyond beyond what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's like, ah, a cop, a firefighter, whatever. You know, it's, yeah. it's never from like, what do you want to do on a daily basis? What do you want to, who do you want to be? You know what I mean? Like, what, what do you actually want out of life? Yeah. And without feeling the need to have to justify what it is that you want, because it's a want. It's not a need. Uh, you the, you ask me what I want. I'm telling you what I want, and now you're getting I'm getting blowback for yeah. the answer that I yeah. gave you. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah I know, like, right? I can't because you're not fitting in their nicely neat box exactly. they thought you were supposed to be in. Exactly. I've also learned too is what do I want? Cool. Now my preferences are out there. What is it that I need to move towards what it is I say I want? Sometimes when we're moving towards the target, where it's not linear, it's mm-hmm. not straightforward. Right. You're going to have to take different detours in different directions, you're going to get thrown off constantly. Yeah. I mean, again, it's the proverbial, you know, success is in a linear path. Everybody talks about it, everybody markets it, but the truth is people have to do very uncon- unconventional and very uncomfortable. I don't think 
I don't think a lot of people have been outside their real comfort zone. They talk about it. Yeah. They say, oh, I know what it means to be uncomfortable. It's like, do you though? Yeah. Do you really know what it means to be stripped down and so vulnerable and raw, like a rite of passage type of uncomfortable oh, right. that you are fully exposed and now you make a decision from that place and now you see what, I never really wanted that. I actually wanted to be here. This mm. is who I really am. That You're right. Kids don't get asked that question. Yeah. What do you really want to experience in your life? Mm. What is it you really looking to achieve? And one of the things I wish I was taught at a young age is you need to find the ability to have peace on a daily basis in your life if you truly want to maximize your ability to perform in the things that you do. I think we sacrifice personal peace for the sake of some progress. Hmm. And then we say, we'll go at some point, I'll buy it. Yeah, I'll make right. my living and I'll have my family and then I'll turn around and then I'll be ready to experience that breath that I want to take. And yeah. it's like, I'm telling you, I've seen so many powerful people. When you pull the curtain back, their lives are in shambles and they they talk a big game. And unfortunately, I love them to death, but their lives are miserable because yeah. they have literally sacrificed in, inappropriately for the sake of what they thought they're supposed to achieve. Yes. And then they turn around and they teach the world that. Mm-hmm. And then people are caught up in that. It's like, who are you? Who are you? Ask me that question and then build me from there. Yeah, you give up what you want for the sake of what others tell you you need and you keep punting yeah. the thing that you want yeah. to, to keep chasing what other people tell you you need, right? Yeah. Like you, well, you need to have this type of house. You need to have this type of car. You need to have these type, your kids need to go to these types of schools. You need to have, you have a pile of expenses and now you can't take the risk that right. you wanted to take to do the thing that you wanted to do, but you're just going to punt it. Oh, well, once we get this, once we get to this phase, then we'll do that. And well, once yep. we get that, then we'll do that. Yep. Once we get here, and then, then we'll do we'll, that. You know what I mean? Always thinking about- Always gets punted. Always thinking about over here and never thinking about here. Right. Because you're playing, you get, you get trapped into playing this finite game of necessity rather than what do I want out of life? Yeah. You know, and, and it's, I think mostly it's got to be more like a Western culture thing. Because, yeah, it is. Because, you know- the American dream is great for so many reasons, but that's one of the things that's not great at is like sucking people into it who don't really care to be a part of it. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. just if it's not for you, then it's not for you. Figure out a different path. It's just scary. Well, like, you, you know, and I were talking about a, a, a little bit earlier about sipping whiskey. And it's yeah. interesting is think about when we get together as people and yeah. we pour a drink. What's the first thing that Americans ask each other? What do you do? Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. Why does it matter what I do? Yeah. And if I can't explain to you precisely what I do, it confuses people. Totally. You know? Yeah. You know, I, I help busy entrepreneurs do this X, Y, Z. Right. That's not who what? you are. It's almost <laughs> no, like I, I would like rather- title. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather meet someone like we've met and sit down and pour you a glass of scotch and just have a conversation about life and just naturally let those things come out. Well, what you do I, is not who you are. No. Yeah. And people confuse those things all the time. We conflate- what you do with your identity. Well, I, yeah, there's, I think a lot of times that's because most people are doing things that don't align with who they are. Right, right, exactly. Because, well, I'm a sales director, yeah. but I like to go bow hunting. Well, I'll push back know? in yeah. my, my life, the way my business was built around me. So it wasn't a thing I studied or I didn't, just, I, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little controversial here, but I don't like the personal development space. Mm-hmm. I don't like the whole self help world. I think it is, it's become another version of big pharma. It is, it, it, they, it's customers that are dependent mm. on coaches, consultants, masterminds and programs, books, seminars, yeah. audio tapes, endless regurgitation of the similar concepts that everybody packages with their own branding and their own color and say, hey, here's who I am. Yeah. Not to say that there aren't people out there that do good stuff and, sure. and help people. But in my experience, especially work with some of those, those leaders and those public figures in that industry, it is unfortunately surface level mm-hmm. and it gets people caught up in this idea that okay what's next what well, we yeah. just talked about what's next who am i what's next who am i where do i go where do i go and nobody understands truly what they're actually capable of and what they should be doing in my work yeah. it's who i am it's not an identity it's just how i was built i'm a relationship oriented person i'm the work i do is about sacrificing my time for the sake of the results that i want that person that's in front of me to get and I think we are selling our time and we're not getting results. People are too busy focusing on like your time, my time. We have the same amount of time. My time's not more, more important than yours and yours is not more important than mine. You know what's important? Now, I'm not saying that with family and stuff like that. But sure. what I mean is in a business context, what, what matters is what you do with that time. Yes. That is important. 
Travis, so how, what you do with your time is valuable. What I do with mine is valuable. How do we find that place where that can create maximum benefit right. for you or I, depending on the dynamic? That whole industry has gotten swept up in this world. It's tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars a year because people are lost and don't know who they are. Yeah. They're not approaching it from what scares me the most, like bull riding that can really stretch me, challenge me. Yeah. They like the... I'm going to, I'm going to hire the coach that makes me feel comfortable. I'm going to hire the person that says the things that sound like they should. Well, they're on the hamster wheel. Yeah. So that's why I want to bring that because we were talking about identity because, and that's where people get lost in their identity. It's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy Grant Cardone's thing, or I'm going to go get Tony Robinson or Brendan Burchard or Joe Polish from Genius Network, which some of these guys I know. And it's like, I'm going to buy because I saw how they did it. So I'm going to buy it because it can help me too. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, but who are you? Right. Are you just another part of the marketing machine that is, yeah. or are you truly trying to find out what you're capable of? And maybe that direction is not the right thing for you. Right. And they get lost in 20 years later, turn around and go, what did I do? Right. I spent right. like my clients problems, millions of dollars on personal growth and they're still broken. It's like, right. okay, now you're ready to, you're ready, you're ready to get after it the right way. Yeah. So. Well, the, I, I totally agree with you. The industry's yeah. literally, I think it, I think it's on our YouTube channel. If, if it's not, it used to be, but it's, <laughs> it says self-help without all the bullshit. I think I saw that. Yeah. 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 That's, that's kind of, that's kind of my, it was like <laughs> self-help is an inherently a good thing. Like you have to help yourself. Formal or self-education to me is always greater than formal education. Uh, sure. Because it's constant. It's continuous. It always goes. Formal education for most people stops in high school. You know, if you're yeah. lucky, you go to college. If you're luckier, you go get an, you get a master's or maybe you get a PhD. Yeah. But it's like at some point formal education stops. And the only thing that's going to help you become a better person is self-education and like helping yourself is like your duty in life to grow. And, and that and includes, a that includes finding yourself the right resources Yes, that actually supplement that and do the right stuff for you based on where you're at rather than just being a funnel that they put you through. Right. Yeah. Exactly. By just being a buyer. Yeah. That's the problem. To me, yeah. it becomes, becomes the religion of personal development. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much like the God, most God dogmatic religion. Yeah, yeah, it's just that it's just that you you're 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 signing up for different churches yep. and all these leaders and all these you know the guys you're just mentioning like they are they all have their own kind of church followings, their yep. own kind of cultish type followings, mm-hmm. and people engage way too much in the glorification of those people and their ideas mm-hmm. rather than like taking things that work from this person, taking things from work that work from this person, See? and yeah. then asking yourself who you are and what those things mean to you right? and how you can take them and use them in your life. Or maybe you can't, you can discard them and say, that was good. I'm glad. That's why I say like, I've never wasted any money on personal development. That's good. Because, yeah, I get like, it. Even if I didn't like any of the stuff, I figured out that I don't like that stuff. And now I, I've, I've closed off a path, which is almost as valuable as opening up a path. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Maybe even more so depending on. It's, depending it's on interesting as I, uh, people would, uh, who do you follow? Nobody. Now, I like to look at what people are do- what they're doing, what they're saying, and it's like, okay, cool, great. I take again those pieces yeah. that I can. All right, I like what the, that person. I'm gonna write that down because I can expand on that. Maybe I can put that into a place where I have an experience where that might come in handy. Yep. I've gone to a couple seminars over the years because I thought, though, that person's marketing is pretty good. I'm gonna mm-hmm. go check out what little system that they're they're talking about. Yep. And every time I go to these events. It's, they spend so much time on the rah-rah music jumping around. And I understand physiologically changing your state, you know, it changes the whole way you're able to learn. I think what people don't realize is they spend too much time hyping that up. And the people on stage, what they're doing is they're trying to make money. Mm -hmm. That's an audience of 700 people. I had a client who was a public figure who did that. It's, I have 750 people in this audience and here's what we want to make. And Mm -hmm. it's like, we had had to redirect that entire focus. And it's right. amazing how he ended up making even more money when right. he stopped looking at them as numbers and ways in which he can market them to buy his stuff and realize, I want to sell my coaching services to the right people mm-hmm. who are ready for what I offer. And I'm going to tell them the truth. Who stand that, to gain the most period. from what I can do. I, it's not them. about how do I make my bottom line maximum, right. because I think that's what people focus on. And again, the God of money in the personal development space. Mm-hmm. If you look at everybody's marketing is, let me show you how to X your business. Let me show mm-hmm. you how to take your yearly revenue, and make it your monthly. Let me show you how to make this amount of money. Nobody's going, you know what? Let me come into your life and let me uneth it. Yeah, right. And right. do whatever it takes to push you so far beyond your limits that everything you do naturally becomes a bonus and a byproduct. You, right. You'll make more money inherently. You don't have to focus on the money. You focus on you. We don't sell it that way. We sell right. it as make money. Oh yeah, you're going to help some people. And to me, I'm like, 
I think that's where people are getting caught up. Yeah. And I want to change that. I think you're asking earlier. That's that's one of my things is yeah. how do I disrupt that and get people out of that hamster wheel? Yeah. That want right. it. Right. Yeah. That it works it. for some people. Exactly. God bless them. And that's the thing. Yeah. yeah you just got to do what works for you. Yep. But have the discretion to understand what it is that doesn't work for you. Right. And then admit it to yourself. Because that that's another thing, man. When you, when you just get some of these people who spent that much money on something, they don't want to admit that it's not good for them. No. Because then they have to reconcile the fact that they just dropped a quarter million dollars over the last five years yep. investing in this guy's programs that they didn't end up really wanting to do. It's like, and, oh, and unfortunately, that's yeah, you, you made a good mean? point, Travis. It's the ego starts to convince you things are good. You right. S- it starts to tell you, you are changing. Confirmation bias kicks in. Yep. You're, you're searching growing, for you're all growing. the things right with it. Yeah, yeah you're growing. Yeah. Hey, you're growing. Let's right. just do a little bit more. Let's right. do more. And I, I had this young- The this, results are coming. They're coming. <laughs> yeah. Just another thing. And you know, it's, and I speak from experience. I had a guy that I knew in boot camp in 1997, between junior and senior year, found me all these years, I think like 2015 or 16, he reached out and he said, I found you online. I said, how? Not online. I don't know. I just Googled your name and I somehow found you. And he was a guy that I had done a little mentorship for. He was kind of an awkward dude in boot camp. Couldn't mm-hmm. march, couldn't walk to save his life. He was kind of this geek, couple master's degrees, you know. And I, I I kind of spent time in boot camp doing that. And all these years later, he says, you know, you're the only one out of everybody that was there that actually cared enough to teach me something and show me what it means to actually improve myself. Mm-hmm. So we ended up working together and he goes, I have to admit something. I said, what's that? He goes, I spent $10,000 on this coaching program and I didn't get the promise that they made. And I said, how much? He said, they said I'd make $100,000 for 10 grand. He goes, and I've been working it, working it, working it. And they they keep, you know, berating me and tell me I'm just not doing enough. And, you know, and, and I was like, he goes, but they said that there was a 100% money back guarantee. I'm like, yeah, I, I get those guys. I get it. We ended up fighting this company and getting him his money back. And then some, they gave him an extra like three grand back mm-hmm. on top of it. But what it showed me was how these companies, unfortunately, are just allowing anybody to in because yes. it's all about Absolutely. The, yeah. Well, I, it's like, dude, he didn't belong in that company, that corporate that, exactly. uh, coaching program. That program me. was not designed no, for no. that person. But they're, they're sucking people into they're, that. They're all oh. about the top line revenue right. numbers so they can keep selling you on how they yeah. help people make money. Yeah. I was so. having this conversation with uh, Keala Kanai. Do you know him? That sounds familiar. He, he's an affiliate marketer. But it sounds familiar, time, but I can't. I can't put my thumb on okay. in the last like, okay. four or five years. Good for him. And that's like the the crux of our whole conversation was basically talking about how marketers have to shift from being marketers and shift into building products. And like doing a good job at their, like building a real business. Yeah. You know, because if you suck at that stuff, then go partner with somebody or work for somebody else who already has the product. Because like you're doing the world a disservice by convincing them to buy shit that they don't need to buy that doesn't do anything for them just because like we're talking about, you're trying to make your numbers look better. Right. It's like you're saying goodbye, first of all, to reputation, which is more valuable than any Anything. dollar amount that you yeah. could write on a, on a check. Absolutely. Well, to a certain degree, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, you can just fuck off. Uh, I well, get but, you. Uh, but, but you know what I'm saying. I get like, you. So get you, you. You're, you're risking future reputation. Yeah. yeah. And you are, you're, like, you're playing this super short-term money game. You're also risking long-term revenue by providing shitty products for a high price just because you can sell it. I tell people all the time, like, just because you can sell it doesn't mean you should sell it. Right. If you can't get the result that you're saying you can get for that person, then ultimately it's not going to come back good on you. It's going to come back on you in the form of stress, pissed off clients, chargebacks, refunds, and then again, damaged reputation, bad reviews online. Like it's only going to hurt you in the long run to just sell to anybody just because you're trying to make money. And then you know what you hear? People you can actually help. And then you know what you hear? People get tired of the word coach. Mm, they're yes, they're burn out. Right. Everybody's a coach. The coach who coaches coaches. Oh, on coaching. So then yeah. you know what it does? It makes it harder for people to actually give a crap mm-hmm. to do their job. Yep. Because then you're out here going, you know what? I really do actually care about my relationships and the people that I want to help. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're now they're more skeptical mm-hmm. and they're more hesitant. And now they're wasting time suffering right. because they, they they think I'm just going to be like everybody else. We're jaded. Right. We're really jaded. Yep. It's it's why it's like even the, the clientele that I've worked with, I'm built to work with these leaders because they have the biggest impact on the millions, the masses, et cetera. And they don't understand when I meet them. Okay. I don't understand what you do. However, I feel like there's something more challenging, more dynamic, more relationship-based here. I can feel the trust, the love, and the care you actually have. Yeah. I want to lean into that. Now, these are people that write very significant checks mm-hmm. to invest. No contracts. Everything I've ever done for 14 years has been handshake. Mm. It's all about relationships. I'm third party. People introduce me to people. This is the guy I was working with. You want to see why my life's different? Here you go. Yeah. And it and I have spent sometimes five to eight months, depending on the person, calibrating, connecting with them, yeah. building a relationship long before I've ever said, you got to write me a check. Hmm. And I've had people 
shame me for that. You wasted all that time on that person and that person didn't become a client. Yeah. Yeah. Because I care. That person got introduced to also me. Also define waste. It's yeah. it's not waste because <laughs> right. I've exactly. I give them my time, my energy. I sometimes use my resources yeah. because to me, the the mission, the work is the most important thing. The bottom line will come. I trust that more than I trust anything when it comes to my work. And that's, they don't understand that. They're like, why are you still doing this? Mm-hmm. And it's because the moment I meet someone and we connect and they, all of this exposure happens with what's going on in their personal lives. It's almost like a doctor cutting someone open and leaving them bleeding on the surgery on the table. It's like, I'm not going to leave you on the OR. I'm going right. to, I'm going to stitch you up right. even if you don't end up coming back. And it's amazing how it's like, I'll let that person go. And the next person comes and then they write that they're ready to jump. Yeah. And then we work together. And now I've got, I'm working with that client. So to me, it's like, yep, exactly. I'm never, nobody, I'm not asking everybody to be like me. Nobody's going to be like me. It's yep. just, I just can see where people are lacking in their ability to know what is right for them because they're so caught up in the gla- the, the glam of that marketing right. machine that says, hey, check out all the cool stuff I've got. I can X your business. And the reality is I've seen products that are, have the worst websites in the world, but they have the best product. Mm-hmm. I'd rather buy that than someone who's got the flashy, you know, yep. Lamborghini next to the Sexy private jet, branding. you know? Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, the, <laughs> one of my core values and, and really the crux of this entire show since the beginning and it's are really like how I typically sign off most shows is leave every relationship better than you found it. Yeah. And it's that ethos. It's not supposed to be just this trite saying. It's that it's that ethos. It's living the idea of like, even if this person can't like objectively cannot benefit me now or in the future, or I have no idea how they could, it is still my responsibility to help in ways that I can help. You know what I mean? It, it, without obviously, like you know, you can't just go around helping people for free all the time, or else you no. Would I get what you're saying. Pay your bills. Yeah, discernment like, matters. To leave every relationship better than you found it, meaning that like even if I find out that we can't work together, it's like oh well, you're not really a good fit for us, or oh you're already working with that person. Oh, it's you know, it's just like well, what can I do? Like yeah, maybe we're not going to work together. Maybe they're not going to pay me. Maybe I can become, become a client. But oh, you know what? I do have this one guy that I think might be a good fit for you. Or you know what? I did. I talked to this other person. Or, or here's a book that I was interested in. Or here's this thing. It's just like there's what? Yeah. How can I leave this interaction having made this this relationship a little bit stronger? You know. And if you do that over time, like you said, you'll never have to worry about the money coming in. At least to the extent that your bills are paid. You know what I mean? Like you'll you'll just never have to worry about that stuff. It'll, it will always come back to you in some regard. And I, I just hold that as a belief. Well, I appreciate that. You know? Yeah. I mean, it matters. I think people get too short-sighted. Yeah. And even go back to the beginning of our conversation and parents, it's that we all get too short-sighted on, mm-hmm. you know, what's next. Do we yeah. get too short-sighted on, I got to collect it now. And I, well, it goes know, back to the scarcity thing and, and, and following the path right. of necessity. Cause yeah. like, if you're in scarcity, then you genuinely believe that yeah. you're like, well, I got to get money out of this person. Cause how am I going to pay my bills? And how am I going to do that? And how am I going to do this? And you're living in this, like this, this like void of abundance. And look that, what it does. That it makes, makes money. you treat people that yeah, way. It makes yeah. money the God. Right. And, and you're in it to, to serve yourself. And I think that again, being former military and a lot of military guys will say this selfless services. People go, why did you do it? Selfless service is just sometimes ingrained in p- certain people. And mm. those are principles and values that, you know, I, I personally, it's almost like, I can feel the pain of people on a daily basis. And I understand what it's like when people look look right past you, mm. you know? And it's like, when I got in the military, it's uh, getting your feet wet back in the civilian world, trying to find your place again, you know, new mission. Sometimes people look right over you. They, they, they look right through you. So I think it, it's important. It's like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do what I can and do my part. I don't always give money to homeless people on the street, but I might buy them food. Mm. There are some people that depend on their sign and good marketing and we'll go to that part. Hey, I just need a dollar. I'll give them a yeah. dollar. You know, I have sure. guys that say, hey, I would just love a Coke, you know, yeah. and I'm, I, I'll got them a burger, fries and a Coke. It's, right. I do what I can where I can. You have to discern though. It's, you can't just haphazardly give yourself away to every single thing Correct. in the world. Correct. However, the focus on how is it that I, how is it that I want to see the world that I say that I want to live in operate. And for me, I think if we can get people back on track with like truly discerning where their heart is and who they are, and then they'll find that maybe perhaps what they're doing is not necessarily the right thing. And now there's some people who are just, I don't care. I don't make money and I'm going to sell to anybody and everybody and do whatever I can to do that. But uh, you you and I are obviously talking about those that that are in alignment with who we are. So sure. Yeah. 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 Well, listen, man, could keep talking to you for a long time. I, I wish we could have talked a little bit more about what it was like being an active duty service member sure. during 9-11 and things like that. But we're coming up on the Wild. end. I want to make yeah. sure that we talk a little bit about the podcast that you're coming out with, which you gave me this really cool flask for wise words and whiskey with Wiley McGraw. What, what's the, what's the, 
the thought behind well, it. I have, uh, it's interesting. I have 26 episodes done, six that are being produced right now. Some really cool guests, but the premise behind it was conversations like this. I didn't look at it as a thing to do because everybody else was doing it. I didn't, I didn't even want to do a podcast. I, my best partner and some other people are like, look, you like whiskey. You like having fun, convers- great conversations with people and just kind of shooting the shit and unpacking things and talking about high performance living, all things when it comes to human performance. Why don't you do like a, a cool little podcast where you just mix the two together? Yeah. And nice. so what ends up happening is I basically at this point, I send all my guests a very specific bottle of whiskey. Oh, cool. That matches their personality and who they are based on the conversation we're going to have. The nice. guest doesn't know what I'm going to talk about. So I kind of bring them on, I introduce them, and then I give them the one specific point that I want to unpack. And then we kind of just like let it go for about an hour and nice. riff on that very specific point where we bring out and unpack all these different wise words based on that element so that people in the audience can kick back, relax, they can pour themselves a glass or whatever. And, and, and be a little bit more of a casual environment rather than the typical podcasting where people want to write notes and yeah. how I learn things. So yeah. that's really what I've done. Next year, kind of get back into it, but I got some really cool guests coming on the show next year. Wise words and whiskey. Yeah. Listen on podcast app, go over there, subscribe and tell Wiley what you think of the show. So, I appreciate that, yeah, brother. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Dude, this is a lot of fun. Maybe we can do a part two sometime. And Absolutely. Talk a, little bit, talk a little bit more about some of the more specifics that I, specific questions that I had in mind, but yeah, this, this happy like to over an hour went by pretty quick. So it does. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll bring we'll bring you back on at some point. We're we're like we're pretty close anyway, yeah. a couple hours away. Yeah, so. the hours. Yeah, yeah, dude. All right, I appreciate, well, appreciate it. Yeah. If you're if you're listening right now, be sure to hit the subscribe button. If you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, hit the follow button. Five star ratings review always go a really long way for us. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Cheers. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.